Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. I want to start with a little bit of news. Some of you will have heard that I was intending to change my podcast manager from the end of March. So that's not now happening. I'm staying with Podomatic. And what that does mean for you if you're a subscriber, very simply, is that you don't need to do anything at all. However you receive this podcast, whether it's through Podomatic or iTunes or Stitcher or whatever source, don't worry. You'll keep getting the podcast from that source. You don't need to do anything at all. Secondly, some news on the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook. So I am hard at work creating a draft for the handbook that will cover all of the best advice and insight that I've received over the first 100 episodes of the podcast. If you want to be one of the first people to get a copy of the handbook, drop me an email now. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. There'll be opportunities for anyone who listens to the podcast to get an early copy of the book, including a special edition signed copy. That book will be out in October this year 2017 if you're interested in getting an early copy do drop me a line and don't forget if you haven't got a copy already of the highlights ebook that i've created do ask for that because i can send you that for free and that'll give you a little bit of a taste of what's to come Finally, I understand that the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast has been nominated for a Hugo Award this year. So my thanks to Chris John Arthur for that. If you're eligible to vote and you think that the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast would be a worthy recipient of that award, then I'll be very grateful to you for your endorsement. I think the podcast should be in the best fancast category. And thanks very much for all of you who vote for the podcast. So that's my news. Here's today's episode. This episode features a conversation with two different authors who took two different routes to publication. Ryan Dalton is the author of the Time Shift trilogy, a young adult sci-fi mystery. His debut novel and the first in that series, The Year of Lightning, was published in December 2015 and the sequel, The Black Tempest, is released in April of this year, 2017. Ryan is a self-confessed geek and games writer and you can reach him at ryandaltonwrites.com. My second guest is returning to the podcast for the second time. Wendy H. Jones grew up in the beautiful Scottish city of Dundee in a home full of books with a family who read extensively and she developed a passion for reading early in life. She spent six years in the Navy training as a nurse and then joined the Army where she served for a further 17 years. Wendy has also worked in academia and this has led to the publication of academic textbooks and journals which was the start of her writing journey. She's written six books in a series of police procedurals set in her home city of Dundee and she's also writing a young adult series, the first of which, The Dagger's Curse, is out now. She's also written a non-fiction book for authors, Power Packed Book Marketing, and you can reach Wendy at wendyhjones.com. So, Ryan and Wendy, welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you both on the podcast. A uh, question to both of you to start with, and Wendy, you can answer this one first. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you started out as a writer. Well, I come from a bit of a, an odd background. I started off as a student nurse in the Royal Navy and then moved into the Army as a nursing officer, finishing with the rank of Major, which I still hold. It's the last rank you keep to the day you die. Um, so I was a military nurse. Then I moved into education uh, in nursing and wrote terribly boring uh, nursing textbooks, then moved into teacher training uh, as the head of education studies. And I then wrote some uh, books on study skills and was in educational journals and things. So a bit different, really. Um, mm. Then I 
got ill and decided to move back to Scotland, having trailed around the world for numerous years. And I moved back to Scotland and found I was a bit bored. Retirement's a bit boring when you're young. So I thought I might, I had an idea for a book, decided to write it, wrote the first book, and lo and behold, I've now written seven. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Ryan? What's your background and how did you become a published writer? Oh, well, I usually say my, my background in being an author started with uh, just being a lifelong geek, uh, you know, ever since uh, ever since I was a kid. Uh, I just I was a geek for books and for comics and for movies. And, you know, I, that was just always what I loved. You know, I would go on trips and take a stack of books and um, just sit, sit at a very early age that I, I wanted to write books uh, early enough that, you know, it was, I was younger than 10 and I would say I was going to write books. People would laugh and I would be confused about why they were laughing because I was, I meant it. (laughs) uh, I mean, it took me a few years to get there, but um, you know, as I I got a little bit older, I ended up writing a little more as a hobby, but then towards my late twenties, I started saying, you know what, Uh, I'm going to do this for real. And that's when I really started working on the craft and getting up to where uh, I thought uh, I was ready to write some books. Okay. Now I think I read somewhere as well that you're a games writer. Is that correct? Yeah, I've uh, I wrote for a tabletop game early on in in my career. Uh, it was a game that they wanted a more fleshed out universe than, than your average tabletop game. They even wanted like short stories set in the game universe and things. And so I wrote that for them and really loved that. And and actually right now I, I am chipping away at uh, my own game that I'm writing for. And uh, at, at some point, maybe next year, I'm, I'm thinking I'll probably uh, run a Kickstarter for it. Okay, now I want to stay with you, Ryan, for a moment. Are there any authors that you really enjoyed reading when you were a kid? And and who are the authors that you enjoy reading now? Sure, yeah. Well, the, the first books I remember loving were the Hardy Boys Mysteries and the Wrinkle in Time series, um, which I, I always say it's kind of funny that I loved those too because it was a mystery and sort of a cross-dimensional sci-fi story. And my series now is a time travel mystery. <laughs> so it's uh, it's kind of like I grew up and, and wrote what I loved. As far as uh, authors that, that I'm really into, um, there's some that are you know popular that I like like everyone else. I'm a big fan of uh, Patrick Rothfuss, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, one of my uh, all-time favorite books is Ender's Game. So uh, I'm a big fan of that. I try to read in just about every genre because uh, I feel like I, I can learn something from all of them. So uh, I, there's a, a contemporary YA writer named Tom Levine, who's one of my favorites, just writes masterful dialogue and just really compelling personal stories. OK, so what about you, Wendy? Now, I seem to recall from a previous conversation that you like the Hardy Boys as well. Is that correct? The Hardy Boys were great. I mean, I read things like, you know, the Hardy Boys, Secret Seven, Famous Five, all the mystery writers, really. And yeah, I, I read other things as well, like Cherry Ames, which was nursing, Sue Barton, which was nursing, and all the um, usual Enid Blyton books that everybody else read. Book of the Faraway Tree, they're awesome. But then by the time I was 10, I'd moved on to the adult uh, section of the library because I'd read all the children's books and was reading like P.G. Woodhouse and Agatha Christie. So I've always loved mystery, and it's led into the contemporary writers that I like, which is people like Ian Rankin, Val McDermott, all the Scottish ones, really, Lynn Anderson, Alex Gray, Carol Ramsey, uh, Craig Robertson, all the contemporary Scottish crime writers. I like American crime writers as well, just before we leave anybody else out. (laughs) People like James Patterson that everyone reads and Kathy Wright, anyone like that. Okay, now I know you write in more than one genre, Wendy. Can you tell us a little bit about the different genres that that you work in? Well, 
I mean, I do write in more than one genre, but it's the same genre, but for different age groups. So I write an adult crime fiction series called the uh, D.I. Shona McKenzie Mysteries. And there's five in that series, and they're set in Dundee. They're serial killers, basically. Uh, There's more dead bodies than you know what to do with, really. I'm surprised the Dundee uh, funeral people can keep up. And then I've written a young adult mystery series, the first book which is out and the second one will be out soon, and that's the Ferguson Flora Mysteries, and that's a bit like the famous Five Meets Scooby-Doo, really. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody seems to like them, even adults, which is unusual. However, I'm also doing, I don't know if you wanted me to talk about this, but I'm writing a third series, the first one of which will be out in June, and that's called The Cass Claymore Mysteries, which is a mixture of mystery stroke pg woodhouse and it's a bit it's humorous mystery okay well you're keeping busy then oh absolutely running around all over the place (laughs) okay so i want to talk to both of you now about your route to publishing and i'd like to start with you please ryan if i may so you have one book out and the next one in the trilogy is coming out in april so what was your route to get to this point Sure, yeah. It took me two years to, to write the first book and uh, get through a few drafts of that. At the same time, you know, I was trying to soak up everything I could about the business and learn about query writing and all of that and, uh, you know, researching how to reach out and everything. And from there, it was, you know, it was just querying and, and querying and just not taking no for an answer. And the, the, the thing about this, uh, this series is that because it's got a little bit of a few genres in it. I was getting lots of compliments on the work, but also a lot of people saying it doesn't fit us or our shelf, or I don't think it would sell because it's, I don't know what shelf to put it on. And so I, I got, I think over a hundred rejections from, uh, from agents uh, and editors who just, it, it, who never said it was because the work was bad. They just didn't know what to do with it. And then, uh, but I, you know, I just kept going and, you know, the first book had been done for a while. So, I, you know, I had the ideas for the other two books, but I wasn't going to write those until I sold the first one. So I was actually already starting to work on another project, but I was still querying. And then I happened to, to find this uh, smaller press, uh, Jollyfish Press, that were accepting uh, submissions from uh, unagented writers. And I, I, I did some research on them. They seemed like they had a good reputation. So I submitted and one of the editors really liked the book and, and, and it's like he kind of got what I was going for. And, and he he said basically what I had been telling everybody that, that uh, look, if I, if I enjoy this, I know I'm not the only one on earth who would enjoy this type of story. There's, you know, there's going to be an audience for it. And they felt the same way. And so they took a chance on it. They actually didn't just buy the first one. They bought all three. Yeah. Uh, which was a great a really nice vote of confidence from them and yeah so th- that sale happened i think in december 2014 my first book came out in january uh 2016 and uh sequels out in a couple of months and yeah i'm a, probably about 60 70 through writing book three right now okay so i want to pick up on something that you said there you said that uh, you had i think a hundred rejections for the queries that you sent out but you obviously kept going and you obviously had the determination to keep querying so how did you manage to do that? Uh, well, I'm not going to pretend that it was always easy. <laughs> uh, there were times where you you know you just you think if I get one more rejection, I'm going to set my computer on fire. Um, and uh, you know you you can be uh, you know I, I, I'm not one of those writers that suffers a lot of angst about my work or self doubt. I'm pretty confident, and you know obviously I always know there's room to grow and improve, but. 
I, I, you know, I love to write and I feel like I'm pretty good at it. And so I never, I never had a lot of self doubt. But once you get the 90th rejection, you start to maybe think, well, I wonder if part of the problem is me. Um, so it, it tests you. I mean, you've, you've got to have enough confidence in yourself and you've got to be able to just take the hits and keep rolling, kind of let yourself pout, pout about it for a day if you need to. But then the next day, you better pick yourself back up and get writing again and get querying again. I, and I knew, like I said, I, I knew these stories would find an audience. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to keep querying until there's nobody left to query. And then if nobody has picked it up, I'll sell something else. And then I'll go back and sell this series to them as well. So for, for me, I just I knew it was never an option not to be a writer. So I just kept going. OK, so the other thing I wanted to pick up on was this. In a recent podcast I did, I looked at the subject of genre. And one of the things that I talked about was this challenge that we have as writers when we produce a book and it doesn't fit into a neat genre. It, it just kind of doesn't fit very easily. And so publishers struggle with it and booksellers struggle with it. So how did you overcome that problem? How did you, working with your publisher, manage to deal with that issue? Well, you know, we basically categorize it as young adult sci-fi because, uh, you know, the, the overarching genre is sci-fi. It's just got several other things kind of stuck into it. Um, but I think we mainly got, got by it by just my publisher said, OK, we'll call it YA sci-fi and, you know, it, it'll stand on that. And we're not going to worry beyond that. We're not going to worry about it too much. We'll uh, we'll give us a not, you know, book jacket descriptions that make it clear that, the, you know, this is a little bit different and, and then it'll, you know, it'll find an audience. So, you know, they, there weren't a lot of discussions about it. I think to them, it, it wasn't a big deal. Okay. So what about you, Wendy? What was your route to publishing your books? And I forgot to tell you about one of them. I've got a, a non-fiction one about selling more books. Power pack book market and sell more books. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually went down a different route because when I was starting out, I went to a lot of conferences and things. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of the best crime conferences in um, Scotland, which is called Bloody Scotland. And it happens in, it's a bad name, I know. Um, and it happens in Stilling every year in September. And it's the most amazing conference. Um, but they have a, on the Friday, they have a, a writer's day. And I went to that because I was starting out. I didn't have anything published. And there were publishers and agents there. Um, and also Val McDermott was there talking. It was a very good day. And they actually said, the publishers and agents, look, guys, we're not really looking too much at people who are just cold calling us. We're looking at people that have a platform and that the work's out there known and people like it. And I thought, oh, well, I've asked a few people if they like it and they seem to. And I knew quite a bit about self-publishing because I looked into it in, in a lot of different ways. And I decided to set up my own publishing company, Scott & Lawson. And I published the D.I. Shona McKenzie mysteries through that. And I thought, well, I'll bring the first one out. We'll see how it happens. If it doesn't go anywhere, then um, I'll chalk it up to experience. <laughs> well, it certainly was an experience because the book sold like hotcakes. And everybody's going, when's the next one? When's the next one? So I've now got five in the series. In the meantime, a publisher approached me, a lovely uh, young adult uh, and children's publisher called Books to Treasure, approached me and said, have you got an idea for a young adult mystery series? And well, it just so happens I do. And I pitched it to them and signed a, a contract for a three book series with the option to do more. So that was my uh, route to publication. 
Okay, so it sounds there, Wendy, like you started out with self-publishing and then that's actually created the platform, which has meant that a publisher has come to you to offer you a traditional deal. Yes. Um, but as a self-published author, who do you consider to be the indispensable people who you really have to have to help you with your work? Well, indispensable are editors, proofreaders and cover designers. Um, and I mean, I'm very fortunate. I've got an excellent cover designer um, called Kathy Helms and her branding for my book has been outstanding. Um, I, I couldn't fault it because the you can immediately tell it's the same series, the cover. And editors and proofreaders, it's easy to find editors and proofreaders because I'm a member of various organisations like the Association of Christian Writers, the Alliance of Independent Authors, and you can get editors and proofreaders through them because there are people you know. Okay, so now, Ryan, you have a traditional publishing deal, so I'd be interested to know what your publisher wants you to do to help support uh, the sale of your work and what they'll do for you. So they like to, uh, for their authors, obviously, to have a um, like a social media platform. They don't pressure me too much. They just want to see that I'm making an effort, you know, that I'm, you know, out, out there talking to people. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a new age, you know, writers can't... Uh, write a book and then sit back in their leather chair while someone else sells, you know, it's, which is fine by me. Cause I, I like the public interaction too. And uh, you know, the, it, apart from just, you know, having a good social media platform, they encourage you to kind of find your tribe or the people who identify with your work and uh, find ways to connect with them. They're very open to ideas and collaboration. Like I, I do a lot of in-person stuff. I like doing pop culture conventions and uh, uh, you know, different book events at, you know, stores and libraries and, I'm starting to go into library and, and school appearances, and I like doing podcasts. Those are really fun for me. Yeah, <laughs> this is not this is not a chore. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> and you know, there, uh, especially with with the second book. I mean, uh, last fall, Jollyfish went through um, a bit of a what looked like it was going to be a, a bit of a crisis and it was going to close, but then a, a larger publisher that had been around longer and had a bigger machine came and scooped them up, and now Jollyfish is an imprint of, of that, which is North Star Editions. So I'm working with them now with, for my second book, and they're doing a lot now. They're starting to ramp up a lot with spreading the word. They're doing some advertising. You know, They're getting me out on um, uh, some, some review sites. I actually just got a favorable review from Kirkus, which felt pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, they're con continuing to, to grow their approach to how they get us exposure as well. And so I, I kind of like our partnership because I'm fairly new to the business. And, you know, you know, they're still growing and reaching out. So we're we're kind of in this together, helping each other. Now, you mentioned social media there, Ryan. I wondered if you could tell us what you do using social media to support the sale of your work. You know, I got advice very early on uh, that I always stick with that says, don't stretch yourself too thin and pick the social media platforms that you enjoy using anyway. Because if you force yourself to try to use a bunch of them, it's going to be obvious that you don't want to be there. So... Uh, I keep it limited. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And, you know, I, I don't feel a, a lot of pressure to do a, a ton of promotion. I just kind of let my personality be the promotion. And I do talk about the books sometimes and I'll post. Well, well right now I'm, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm, I'm out of my normal city. And whenever I go see a landmark, I, uh, I have an arc of my, my second book with me and I'll put that in the picture. And I've made it kind of like a narrative adventure where, where the book is going on these travels and wanting to see these places. And I, I do it because I think it's fun and I think it's funny. But, you know, little things like that, you never know. It might find new readers. What about you, Wendy? How do you use social media? 
Well, I, I'm a bit like Ryan. You can't stretch yourself too thin. But the main ones for me are Twitter, Facebook, and I'm very active on both of those. Again, Instagram and Pinterest. And the reason I'm on Pinterest is because, one, I like it. I was on all these things before I became a writer. So, um, But Pinterest is mainly women. And so if you want to reach out to women, it's an important platform. But I like it anyway because I am a woman. So. <laughs> And I, I'm very active on all these things anyway, but I, I know, and I say this in my marketing book, that it's called social media for a reason and not marketing media. It's, it's social. So it should be 90% social, 10% marketing. Okay, now I want to come back to you, Ryan. You said that you had 100 rejections before you actually got your publishing deal. When you actually did get that deal, was there anything in the way that you approached the publisher or wrote your query that you think helped in actually clinching that deal? Well, the the query was the same that I, they sent to them, essentially. I think one thing that helped is I actually got to talk to the editor. You know, I, I got to, we got to talk on a phone call before the offer came in. And, uh, you know, I, I'm generally pretty easy to work with. You, you know, I'm, I'm not a prima donna. I... I take suggestions. <laughs> you can't really see that in uh, in a query letter. So I think it couldn't have hurt that I, I'm pretty agreeable. I just want to enjoy my work. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is ultimately a fairly small community. And I, I think your personality, if you're nice to be around and work with, can carry you through. Okay, I want to stay with you for a moment, Ron, and talk about cover designs. How much did your publisher allow you to have creative input into what the covers look like? I was very fortunate with Jollyfish because they wanted to be collaborative. I have known some other uh, other writers that get zero say. And so, you know, and sometimes they got the cover and they were thrilled with it, and sometimes they hated it. But I, I, I was pretty fortunate in that before they uh, started designing the cover, they uh, they asked me, at least not like for a design, but at least... They said, hey, can you give us a paragraph on parameters or things that you think would fit this story, And which was great. So I wrote them, uh, I think, a, a couple of paragraphs just about uh, certain things that I didn't like. For these books anyway, I, I, I didn't really want um, people on the covers. Uh, I, I tended to, to find models or people on a kind of distracting. And I referenced them to a couple existing book covers that I really liked and said more than showing people I just wanted an image that would evoke a mood that would that would fit the story and and they took the paragraph or two that I wrote and the artists actually made it much better I think than I had envisioned they kind of took those words and paired them with their own thoughts and came up with something that to me felt very kinetic and, and evocative and it's it's fun because whenever ever I'm at events and I have the uh, the book covers up they always get reactions so that that's fun to see so I want to move on now and talk about people who help you with the manuscript. And this is a question for both of you. Do either of you use beta readers or writing groups to help you? Um, I do have a set of beta readers who read the book in advance and give me feedback on it. They tell me whether the story's working. They also tell me things about Dundee because even though I'm from Dundee, you, you think you know everything, they'll go, no, actually, that's not quite true. You need to, it was this. So that's really helpful to make sure that you've got local stuff correct. Um, beta readers are good because they'll be quite honest with you and tell you what's working and what isn't. Um, for example, my first book, they said, your ending's rubbish. Okay, I'll change it. <laughs> they all said, your ending's rubbish. So I changed it before it came out. And then everybody was going, ooh, great ending. So it worked. What about you, Ryan? Do you have beta readers or do you have a writing group you belong to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I've got editors that I, that I work with, but uh, then also 
uh, having peers who, whose work you trust and admire and who are good beta readers, uh, I think that's indispensable. They just uh, they they will always see things that you don't see, and it, it's impossible to be completely objective about your, your own work. And sometimes your head is buried so deep in the story that you don't necessarily catch the little things that someone outside will catch. Uh, some of my my best beta readers are people who don't write sci-fi at all, which I really like because they like they will spot something that another sci-fi writer might not see. I feel like everyone from different genres has something else to offer, and and vice versa. I'll I'll do the same for them if they have something that. Uh, is a little different or that they want another perspective on they'll send it to me and uh, yeah i i I don't think any book is written just by a writer and and one editor you got to have multiple eyes and multiple perspectives on okay another question to both of you how much do you plan and outline your work before you start are you are you a planner or a pantser wendy perhaps we'll start with you on this one I'm a bit of a mixture, to be honest. I, to be, with my first book, I started out planning it, and then the book took over, so <laughs> I never went anywhere the plan, um, because the characters took over, and it just went in a direction it wanted to go in. Um, I do. I know um, who did it. I know the beginning. I know the end. And the, the middle, I have a vague idea, but obviously things happen, things change, and it moves. It's a... It's a movable feast, really, my books. I mean, I know crime writers who, when they start, they don't even know who the killer is. <laughs> I don't think I could work like that. <laughs> I'd be too busy wondering, well, who did this to actually write? But it's how it works for you. I know who the killer is right at the very beginning. But that's important for my, it's important for both my series, but particularly for the D.I. Sean McKenzie mysteries, because in that, you get to see it from the killer's point of view as well as the police point of view. So it's two strands to every book. So I need to know who the killer is because obviously I'm writing about them. So I need to decide their psyche. So planning is can be a bit tricky. I know that it's going to be um, a couple of chapters from the police point of view, then a chapter from the killer's point of view. So I know that much in terms of planning. I do plan out what the killer's doing. So I know what they're doing. But if they decide off to decide to hive off and go kill someone else, I just have to follow them. <laughs> And does your planning include character planning? How much of that do you do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My characters are planned really well. And to start with, I asked myself or I asked a character 100 questions about themselves, every main character in book one. And then they've carried on. But I've added to them as they've changed, because obviously, like us, they don't stay static. But the characters take over as well. For example, D.I. Shona McKenzie started off, she was a lover of fine wine, which was great because I know a lot about wine because I was an, an army officer and you needed to know about wine. But she very quickly told me that she didn't like wine, she liked whiskey. Well, that was a bit of a problem because I know nothing about whiskey, so I had to go and research it. <laughs> so she's a whiskey drinker. <laughs> okay, how about you, Ryan? How much planning do you do for the storyline and character? Yeah, I'm a big time outliner. I feel like I write with confidence if I know exactly where I'm going, if I have my roadmap. So I, I kind of have three stages of outlines that I do. I have the, the broad thousand foot, uh, just conceptual outline that has, you know, just a few major beats, the beginning, the end and the overall purpose. And, and then I, I go in a little closer and do, I call it my sticky note timeline. Half, well, a whole wall in my office is covered with sticky notes in each, um, they're all in kind of a flow, like a timeline. Each on each sticky note is either a major plot point or a major character development point. And then, let's say I'm going to sit down and I've got these, you know, two or three next chapters coming up. Before I write them, I'll do a a, a up close 
uh, kind of shot for shot outline of those next few chapters. Uh, and, uh, and then I'll get in there and, and start writing that. As far as the characters, uh, I, when I start with them, I have a pretty good outline of who they are. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're major character points, but that's one of the areas where uh, I do end up discovering more about them as the story goes on because I put the characters in a room together and, you know, they start talking and interacting and things reveal themselves in those conversations and interactions and that's fun as well so yeah I, i'm a big time outliner but my, my outlines are also flexible so if i come up with something better along the way the outline will definitely change and um, if a character reveals something new then things can definitely change so yeah, it's, i think some people are afraid of outlines because they think it shackles them but it's very much a very much a living tool for me okay so what's intriguing to me and what you've both said there is it, it seems as if your characters take on a life of their own once you've started to develop them they form their own opinions and they go off and do their own thing. Is is that your experience? Ryan, what do you think about that? Is for some characters more than others, yeah. Like for my two main characters in the series, I had a pretty clear picture of who they were and, and I had to because I, I had specific kind of emotional arcs that I wanted them to have, specific challenges that they were dealing with outside of just, you know, the villain. So more with kind of the supporting characters, that ended up being more the case where I sort of let them reveal themselves as as, uh, as the story went on, and so yeah, they didn't get as much attention in the outline, and uh, because you know, there was so much else to factor in, it's a, there's a mystery, there's time travel, and there's a, was a fairly large cast of characters, so so yeah, I kind of let the, the the side characters grow with the story. What about you, Andy? What's your experience with this? They certainly do, actually. Um... When I was writing the D.I. Shona McKenzie mysteries, the characters tell you what they want to do. And they, as I say, they change as well. Um, I had a bit of a, a bad boy uh, police officer in my first two or three books, but he then got a bit nicer. And I was like, you're not meant to be nice. What happened here? You know, but I think because he's grown on everybody that things have got a bit better. He's still not, you know, the perfect policeman. He's never going to do everything he's told but he's better than he was so yeah they do same with fergus and flora i mean fergus and flora they're equal in they're teenagers so teenagers go off on a tangent you know it doesn't matter real teenagers go off on a tangent you can't tell from one day to the next what they're going to be like so they started off pretty equal or with fergus a little bit more in control but then flora took over you know she's like going to be in control here but then at times Fergus will flex his muscles and take over again so it's a bit of a it's not a battle of wills but in some ways it's who's going to be the dominant person at any point of the story and that adds an edge really because they've both got their good points and their points that they need help with. Okay now I want to come back to something that you mentioned Ryan you talked briefly about character arcs so can you tell us a little bit about how you've developed the character arcs for your principal characters in your work? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted the, the, the books, even though there's some action and sci-fi things, I wanted them to go a level deeper than that and not just be about, Hey, we've got this mysterious thing to uncover and this bad guy to fight. I, I wanted the main characters to have very personal struggles uh, and their own things that they're dealing with. So I had to very deliberately choose, okay, well, what, what is the, the problems that they're going through? And, and then think about, okay, well, how would, you know, what are some healthy and unhealthy ways that a teenager would would deal with this? And because my main my main characters are, are twins, it's a boy and a girl. So I, I thought about, well, what are the similar ways they would deal with grief or other things? 
and what are the, what are the different ways that they would come deal with it where maybe the, here's an instance where they don't really understand each other um and, and then i when once i had the baseline i thought okay well where do i want them to end up uh by the end of the book you know do i do i want a full resolution do I, what kind of improvement am i looking for uh and so once i had the beginning and the end decided uh it was a matter of plotting what felt like a natural progression through the story uh, where they would go through a bit of a transformation. Okay, now Wendy, in your answer there, you mentioned that your main character started with you wanting her enjoying fine wine, but she actually told you that she liked whiskey. So you had to do some research into whiskies. Now, that's just prompted me to think about a question around research. So how do you do your research for your work? Well, I do a lot of different things. Um, I go out and about. I go to the streets. Although you can use, you know, the online Google stuff, it's better to go out and have a look or have a look at the areas. So I've, I've gone around Scotland because Killer's Cut happens all over Scotland, not just Dundee and the surrounds. So I went out and about and actually saw the terrain. I went and saw the towns I was talking about so that I knew a bit more about them. But I do research online, obviously. I use books. But I also speak to people. I had the police around my house and they were here for about four hours telling me all about Police Scotland, telling me all about the changes, the way the police work. They told me that, you know, I've got guns in my books. The guns in Scotland, the police in Scotland don't have guns. But the chase at the, when they're trying to catch the serial killer, you're not going to do it without a gun in your hand, you know. So he said, what happens is they turn into specialist teams. So if they need to use guns, the CID would step back and a specialist team would go in. So they basically said, turn your team, CID team, into the specialist team and give them guns, which is what I do. But you get people saying the police in Scotland aren't armed, which is absolutely true, but they get armed at that point if they need to. So I do it in a lot of different ways. I've got people from the police, ex-police, telling me what happens in the police, and they're great. What about you, Ryan? How do you do the research for your work? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a combination as well. You know, sometimes it's about just making connections with people who know things. Uh, like I have a, a friend who's a fellow writer whose wife is an astronomer. And so if I've got astrophysics questions, I may sling them over to her. Um, it, with locations for this series, it hasn't been, I haven't had to do much research because the town that's set in is fictional. But uh, if I was going to set a story in a, in a real place, I would absolutely want to have some exposure to it. Uh, so I don't know, maybe I'll set my next book in Hawaii so I can go see that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, as far as, uh, you know, because there's a lot of sci-fi elements in my book, I uh, I did want to make sure that I was read up on at least certain theories and how things worked because even though there's, there's a healthy dash of science magic in the books, I, I wanted to make sure they had, at least some of them had a little bit of a strong base. So uh, I read about uh, quantum physics. Uh, I read about uh, how lightning is created and it's like storm dynamics and things like that. And which is, you know, I'm an, a geek for that stuff anyway. So it was fun research. Okay. And again, a question to both of you. If you, in the course of your research, needed to talk to a very particular person, perhaps a person from a particular background or had certain skills, how would you go about locating that person and asking them to help you? My first instinct would probably be, be to access the internet hive mind, just go onto social media and say, does anybody know anybody who knows about this or is an expert on this or does this for a living? Uh, I would usually I would just start by kind of mining my own personal connections. Uh, beyond that, if nothing came up, uh, I think, you know, finding something online, picking up the phone and 
asking to interview someone. I, mo- most people like to talk about what they do. So um, usually you can find somebody. Oh, well, case in point, my uh, first and second books have uh, a minor side character that uh, is French. And I, I you know, don't speak French. So in my first drafts, I used Google Translate, but I knew that wasn't going to hold up. So I put it out on- online when I was in my editing. And I said, hey, uh, does anybody out there speak French? And uh, fortunately, uh, a friend of mine does. Actually, her daughter even goes to a french-speaking school in, in town and uh so uh i said hey if you uh translate all my french i'll give you a shout out in the acknowledgments of the book and so uh yeah that was was nice she was happy to do it and yeah we both got something what about you wendy well one of my books i needed to know about taxidermy so i just picked up the phone i went on to yell.com found the nearest taxidermist phoned them up and said hey i need to know about taxidermy what would happen here and they told me they, and they were great. They were. Then I needed to for my new series, um, the Cass Claymore Mysteries. She rides a motorbike. Well, my knowledge of motorbikes isn't huge. I've been on the back of one, but that's it. So I phoned up uh, somebody who sold motorbikes in Aberdeen, and I said, "Okay." And I was on the train when I did this, so everybody was laughing around me because I was saying, "I'm an author, and I need to know about motorbikes that a, a woman would use." And they told me what motorbike. Okay, I want to turn now to the question of voice and writer's voice. I wondered if you were conscious that you had developed a writing voice. This is a question for both of you, really. Um, perhaps we could start with you on that, Ryan. Yeah, well, I think voice is key. Um, usually one of the first bits of writing advice I'll give to aspiring writers is to take time to develop their voice. The The catch with it is, is that I, I don't think all of it can be conscious. Your voice partly springs out of the things you love and the things you absorb. So... Like what are the kinds of things you're reading, what you're watching, the music you're listening to, the the things that you that you love that kind of spring from inside you. That's that's all going to equate into your voice. And so that's one reason I, I tell people don't not to rush, because the the more you absorb and the more you practice, the more that voice is going to mature and, and come out and be something un, unique. So, yeah, I, I think you definitely have to be conscious of it when you once you start, you know, actually trying to write professionally, uh, because then you can really distill it down into into a style but uh at first i think it's it's all about just uh contributing to your uh your creative vocabulary uh and then uh i I think as your voice will start to emerge and then you can start to hone it into something that's a signature what about you wendy are you conscious that you have a writing voice i think so i mean i Originally, when I first started writing the D.I. Shona McKenzie mysteries, it was a little bit stilted, a bit stiff. But as I got into it, I developed my voice and things relaxed a bit. So you get you get into the rhythm of it, really, whereas initially you don't. But the difficulty is then when you write another series, you need a different voice, although people need to recognize your original voice. So when you're going from adult to young adult, that can be quite tricky. But then I need to develop a different voice again for Cass Claymore because it, it's going to be humorous and totally different, really, to the dark stuff that's in that's in the D.I. Shona McKenzie mysteries. But although the D.I. Shona McKenzie mysteries are dark, I've got quite a humorous slant anyway, so she can be quite funny at times. Uh, so, yeah, my voice can is slightly different to your average really dark um, murder mystery. OK, so following on from that... A question to both of you again. Do you think your writing voice should be a function of your personality? I think so, yes, definitely. And I think it's very difficult to take your personality completely out of your writing. I mean, obviously, I'm not writing about me. 
Um, Dina Sean McKenzie's nothing like me. She's tall, she's blonde, and she's a runner for a start. So that takes me out of it completely. But there has to be a certain element of you in your characters and in your voice because if you're trying to write something that's completely different to you then it's not going to work in its entirety I don't think I, I totally agree yeah I, I think that it's uh, whatever you're writing if you're doing it right at the very least bit, little bits of you are going to come out in, into it um, uh, I think that's good you know because that means you're really kind of drawing something up from deep in the well I also think that, you know, everybody has their own kind of personal personal rhythm that they operate on, that kind of their their thoughts happen a certain way. And uh, I think that will come across also in a writing style as well as something that's a little more subtle. But if it's off, I think people will notice it as well. I think sometimes you'll have an author who has kind of a certain rhythm with their delivery and with their dialogue. And then uh, people are comfortable with that. And then maybe a few books down the road, they try something radically different and it kind of throws people a little bit. So, yeah, I think all of that will naturally come out as your craft continues to grow. OK, so I want to ask you both now about advice for aspiring writers and focusing particularly on the craft of writing. So again, a question to both of you. What would you say are the key bits of advice that you would give to aspiring writers in terms of the craft of writing? Well, first of all, you need to you need to write because a lot of people I've heard time and time again because I run writers groups and everybody goes, well, where do I start? You, you pick up a pen and you start. Writers have to write. Write something. Write anything. Start with it was a dark and stormy night. Start with once upon a time. Start with anything you want, but just start. Um, I read several, several writers books as well while I was writing and before I started so that I could get an idea of you know, how to go about it. And I read a very good one called How Not to Write. That was excellent. It was so funny um, because it gave you instances of things that people had written and you learn a lot from that because you know not what to do which actually gives you an idea of what you should do but write your first draft you, you cannot edit a blank page yeah i think wendy uh, nailed it uh, you know finish the draft that, that's key uh, I'll, I'll name one craft book uh, uh stephen king's on writing to me is yeah. the quintessential writing book uh and the, you know every writer name drops that book for a reason because it's amazing um and royal really boils down to the craft into into some usable things that I read it years ago and it still stuck with me. One other other thing is also be prepared to uh, not only weather criticism but to accept it and use it, yeah. uh, especially when you're getting to the point where you you maybe you've written a book or two, you haven't gotten anything published, but you've got beta readers that are giving you feedback. Um, you know, I've seen some writers who they will ask you to beta read for them and then you'll, you know, spend, you know, a good amount of time and effort reading through a novel, giving them good feedback and they thank you for it. And then they never apply it. And then you come back a few years later and read something else they've written and their writing hasn't grown. So I, I would say take constructive criticism and uh, really think about it and apply it. Even if you think you're at the point where you're good enough to get published that's not the point to stop growing. It's the point to keep getting better and better. Okay, what about marketing and promotion? What advice would you give to aspiring writers in that area? Uh, I, I think part of it is not being afraid to put yourself out there. As soon as I started drafting my first novel, I got a Twitter account. Uh, you know, I, I would post things and nobody knew me and I didn't know anybody, but I would follow people I found interesting. And when they were discussing something that it seemed like they wouldn't mind somebody chiming in i would make a comment and then slowly people got to know me and and i started to make friends that way and then i would start going to 
uh, you know, event and I would see those people I saw online. And that's how I've gotten some of my beta readers. And so as far as internally with, with the work, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and make good connections. But, and that will get you more comfortable when you actually need to start selling and marketing. Then, you, then you are, you've already got kind of an online voice and a presence and you can use it and get comfortable in front of crowds because especially when you're first starting, hand selling from person to person is a great way to grow your audience. Well, a piece of advice I was given um, before I even started writing was tell people you're writing a book. And I was like, because to be honest, human nature is, oh, I'm writing a book. I'm not going to tell a soul in case it doesn't go anywhere. Well, you need to forget that because the more you tell people you're writing a book, the more likely you are to write it. (laughs) So before I'd even written my first word, I went and blogged about it and said, I'm writing a book. And everybody got back to me going, brilliant, when's it coming out? <laughs> I haven't started it yet. Um, but I kept the momentum going. But I had a platform already. I was already on Twitter. I was already on Facebook. I was a member of a lot of different groups. Um, but I then started joining writing groups and things. And like Ryan says, just chiming in and talking to people. By the time my book came out, People were waiting and I I had a a book launch at Waterstones and had over 100 people at my book launch in Waterstones. You know, that was that was for paperbacks. So it's building a buzz before your first book comes out. But it's never too late to start. The whole thing about marketing is building a buzz. Do it online, do it offline. And as Ryan says, get out there, go and meet people, go to conventions. Now, you don't need to go this far, but I'll give you an example. This week, in the next week. I'm going to be in Birmingham. I'm traveling down to Birmingham tomorrow. I'm going to be in Birmingham and Saturday, the Association of Christian Writers um, Conference. Then from there, I'm going down to London for the London Book Fair. I'm coming back up and I'm going to Cumbernauld for the weekend. And I'll be at the Scottish Association of Writers Conference. Now, that's just situational. I don't normally do that. But it's getting out there and networking, getting to know people and just enjoying yourself, really. Okay, so we're coming to the end of our conversation now. But I'd like both of you just to spend a moment to tell us all a little bit more about your work and particularly how people can find out more about you and access your work. Uh, I know both of you have got books coming out very soon, so it'd be good to hear about those. Wendy, perhaps we could start with you. Well, I'm writing the sixth D.I. Shona McKenzie mystery. You'll think I'm mad in a minute. The second um, Ferguson and Flora mystery, which is called The Haunted Broch, should be out soon. And um, it got a little bit delayed because I had personal issues in the family that I needed to deal with. Um, but that should be out fairly soon. And then um, I've got the first uh, Cass Claymore mystery, which I'm actually struggling for a title for at the moment, but I will come up with one. Um, That's coming out hopefully by the end of June. That should be out. Waterstone's very keen for it to come out, so they would like it by the end of June. (laughs) Hopefully by then. Oh, by the way, I didn't say the next um, D.I. Shona McKenzie mystery. You heard it here first. This is the first time I've mentioned it. The title is going to be... Killer's Crypt. Ah, okay. As in C-R-Y-P-T. <laughs> Killer's Crypt. Um, yeah. So they can find me at my website, wendyhjones.com. They can find me on Waterstones, Amazon, Kobo, Nook, CLC Bookshops. I'm all over the place. You can find me online at Wendy H. Uh, sorry, you can find me on Facebook at my Wendy H. Jones author. Twitter, I'm Wendy H. Jones. I'm Wendy H. Jones everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) 
I am. Yeah. That's my name. <laughs> and what about you, Ryan? Right. Uh, so, yeah, the the Year of Lightning was out last year. That was the first one uh, in the trilogy, the Time Shift trilogy. Um, and, uh, yeah, sequel, uh, The Black Tempest, is out uh, April 25th. And, uh, you know, there's time travel, there's mystery, there's some action, there's uh, a bunch of fun stuff. And I feel like it's a pretty unique uh, approach to uh, time travel and time manipulation. So if anyone's a fan of that, they might enjoy it. Uh, also, uh, I have all sympathy for you, Wendy, for your struggles with the title. Those are so hard for me. <laughs> I could write 50 pages of dialogue before I'd come up with one good title. It's so hard. But uh, so, yeah, those will be available pretty much wherever you know books are sold online. There will be in some physical stores as well. If anybody has a favorite bookstore that they'd like to buy from, uh, you know, they can just go in and request it if they don't have them on the shelves. Uh, they're available uh, from anywhere. And yeah, any online platform. If anyone wants to see what I'm up to or get in touch with me, um, I'm on Facebook, you know, facebook.com slash Ryan Dalton writes. I Ryan Dalton on Twitter. Uh, or if you just want to chat, Ryan Dalton writes at gmail.com, Ryan Dalton writes.com. Yeah, I'm pretty, if you search Ryan Dalton and Year of Lightning or Time Shift Trilogy or any of that, I'll come up. Okay, so in terms of websites, Ryan, you're at Ryan Dalton writes.com and Wendy, you're at Wendy H. Jones. So just before we finish, is there anything else that either of you guys want to say? Any last bits of advice or insight that you want to share? I think I'm good. I've just I've just had a great time. So I appreciate you having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Ryan. What about you, Wendy? Is there anything you want to say to finish with? My advice to anybody is write. If you've got an idea, just write it and have a great time. Don't sweat it, you know. Enjoy yourself in the process. Good advice. <laughs> just to say thank you very much. I've had a blast. And it's been lovely meeting you, Ryan. Yeah, same here, Wendy. This has been great. Well, Ryan and Wendy, thank you so much for your time. It sounds as if both of you really enjoy your writing, which is obviously an important part of yeah. it. Yeah, that's for sure. So thanks very much for your time. Cheers. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.